In this episode of the Free Your Energy podcast, I got to sit down with Darren Waller, who hosts the podcast called Comeback Stories. Him and his co-host, Donnie Starkins, they uh, they brought me on this summer and got to really connect with both of them and just talk about my story and my journey and some of the things that I had to overcome. And I've developed a great relationship with Donnie and uh, Darren on the individual level since then. Uh, Donnie was already on the podcast. Feel free to go listen to that if you have not. But today we're jamming with Darren on his story. And man, oh man, is this story an inspiring one. You may have heard his name before as an athlete, Darren Waller. He's currently an athlete uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders. But really what this is about is about him as a human. You know, I played football. And so I know what it's like to be under that the the shoulder pads and to be under the helmet, you know, you exist in a world where people don't really know you. They know you, they know your name, they know what you can do, they know what you can't do, but they don't really know you. They don't really know what makes you laugh and what makes you smile. And so this podcast here was us peeling back those layers. It was us finding out about his music that is incredible. Uh him find us finding out about some of his failures, some of his triumphs, some of his successes, and who he is as a human being. And that's what matters most. Uh, so with that being said, let's get right into this episode of the Free Your Energy podcast with Darren Waller. People know you as a Raider, as an athlete, as a, as a, as a football player. But how do you know yourself? How would you describe yourself? Um, I would describe myself as somebody that's, in a sense, walking a, a tightrope, you know? Like I'm always, I feel like I'm, I want to be the best version of myself that I can be in everything that I do. But at the same time, sometimes I feel like, you know, it's at the, it's at the expense of me at times. And sometimes, you know, I feel myself, I can be very compassionate and empathetic towards other people, but it's like, how do I find that balance for myself? So it's kind of like, you know, I'm walking and it's like, you know, I feel like a whole bunch of people are looking at me and it's just like, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a circus, but I just feel like I'm constantly trying to find that way. And I have things that are really working for me, routines, daily practices that are working for me. But there's some things that are, I'm still trying to, you know, remove from the picture as far as, you know, things that I struggle with, thought patterns, uh, self-sabotage, things like that. So I'm somebody that's, you know, still up, still still moving, still finding ways to enjoy life. But there's still these negative things that want to pull me back to that side. And it's, that's such a tough struggle because, like, there's two parts. There's the professional side of you and then there's the human side of you. And in the professional side of you, your entire livelihood is connected based on your performance. So everything you do has to be graded, right? Like from a performance standpoint. And when we grade ourselves from like a performance, the language we're using is this is good, this is bad. And in the sport you work in, sometimes it's harsher language. It's this was fucking awful or this sucks or this is pathetic, right? But it's very hard to separate that language on the human level, you know, especially when they're so interconnected. So I totally, totally can empathize with that. And 
and just understanding. Like that's tough. That's tough. So how do you like metabolize that when say you get feedback from one of your players or from a coach or one of these people on TV, you hear what they say about you. Are you hurt ever when you hear someone talking about your game or uh, about you personally? How do you, how do you process that stuff? How do you metabolize it? Uh, yeah, I used to be uh, really hurt by that, you know, very uh, fragile in that sense of anybody's opinion of one step out of line could, you know, put me in a place where, you know, I didn't believe in myself because I was giving other people that power. Uh, but today, you know, I, Try to make sure that I'm not taking anything personally, even if somebody is taking a direct shot at me. You know, I have a an option in that case to say, you know, I'm not they're not attacking the person. They're attacking the performance and I'm not my performance. You know, I do perform. It is part of my job and part of what allows me to have an impact on the world. But, you know, I try to make sure that I'm going in, putting my pride and my ego to the side because it was at the forefront for, for too long and it, and it doesn't serve me anymore. So there, it'll be that little sharp little sting if somebody will say something, you know, here and there about a little thing in my game. But it's like, you know, most of those people are kind of judging from a comfortable place. And then the people that are really saying it from a place that I can learn from, they've been there, they've coached that, you know, most of them aren't going to say it in a way that's that's cutting me down. They're going to say it in a way that's building me up. But even if they do, you know, I have a choice at the end of the day. I like how you said the comfortable place. Um, researcher Brene Brown in her book, Dare to Lead, she says that the people who are brave in life, we have to ignore those people in the cheap seats. And it's so interesting, you being an athlete, like if we take that analogy, you, in the game of life, you're on the field. And that person sitting way at the top, <laughs> their opinion of you, doesn't really matter, right? And it's like, it's so funny because you are an, af an actual athlete on the field, but we can use that analogy in our life when we're trying to do things in our life. And then we have those people who aren't taking the risk. They're not being brave. They're risking nothing. The only thing they're risking is sharing their opinion. And their only opinion is you're not this, you're not that. And we, we like you say, it's like, we listen to these people. We give them credit. We give them merit. Like we, get, we, we care about what they think. And I love how you have transitioned to a point where those cheap seats don't matter to you. <laughs> Respectfully, right. you know, those cheap seats don't matter. So who do, who do you listen to? Like who, who's in your close circle that you trust, that you, you bounce ideas off of, that you, you know, open up with, that you consider like a friend uh, um, in your life? What's your support system like? Uh, my support system is uh, definitely Donnie, uh, you know, from a coaching standpoint uh donnie starkins if you guys don't know uh we have coached a podcast together called comeback stories uh donnie is a you know a coach and who has become a good friend uh and allows me to look at my life taking football out of the picture because it's so much of my day time wise and energy wise uh but talking to him allows me to step out of that and to to look at the human being uh you know i got a couple friends back home that are you know, walking in the sobriety journey like myself, we're trying to figure out how to navigate life through the disease of addiction. Shout out my boy, Steven, for sure. Um, and on the football side, uh, I have a, a coach that was my tight end coach the last three years. He coached for the Chargers now. His name's Frank Smith. And even with him, we can take football out of the picture and just talk as 
as human beings, but in the same sense, he's been the greatest football coach I've ever had. So it's always constructive criticism and something that's building me up, uh, not trying to tear me down or take a shot at me. So I would say, you know, those are the people who I uh, confide in most as friends. So I'm glad you mentioned, because I was going to ask you why. So I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned why you consider him to be like your greatest football coach ever. What about Donnie? What, what attributes does Donnie have or what things does he do that makes you feel like, okay, I can trust this guy, believe in this guy. What are some of the things that he actually does that shows you that? You know, it's every day him asking me, how, how's my mind? How's my spirit? Uh, not asking me, you know, about my performance or anything like that. And he'll always, he's always on me about, you know, acknowledging myself and the things that I do because he's gotten to know me and he can see that I can move from, you know, one victory in one field and move so abruptly to the next that I don't even take time to celebrate myself and what I did in that moment. So he's always on me about, you know, how are you acknowledging yourself? How are you creating that space to allow yourself to, you know, love yourself because there's a lot of times where I don't do that. And he's, and he really holds me accountable uh, in that fashion. Cause I say like, yeah, self-love, like I got my routines, but sometimes my routines can feel a little stagnant, but he always adds things to where it's like, it makes it have more substance. It makes my time with my routines mean that much more. Would you consider yourself more introverted or more extroverted? I would say more introverted. If I can, if there's situations where, you know, I feel like I can like really just take my coat off, like I can be an extrovert and be one of the goofiest people in the room. Um, but, you know, naturally I'm an introvert, you know, I kind of want to stand back and observe. Um, even when I'm at practice now, it's like, you know, I'm a team captain, but I'm probably the, one of the vocally quietest team captains, you know, you probably ever come across. You know, I, I say things and I want them to have meaning when I do say them. But a lot of times, you know, I'm kind of in the back, just want to let my work talk for itself. I don't want to go before my actions and prompt somebody one thing. And it's like, you don't really move like that. So I, you know, I'm naturally somebody that wants to isolate. But uh, given the situation, you know, I could be a complete clown. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of us are similar that. I think we're all goofy and we're clowns and we're weird, but I think we just need to be comfortable. You know, some people don't need to be comfortable and that's just, they're comfortable being that way all the time. But then the majority of people, it's like, huh, let me find out who this person is. Are they going to judge me? You know, because I love to sing karaoke or I love dancing, you know, you know, those little quirks we all have. I'm curious about some of your healing practices, uh, just being a professional athlete. Uh, obviously you played yesterday. Um, football, three hour, a three hour game with what a thirty minute to an hour warm up. You know you're active for pretty much four hours, uh, and it is pure trauma on the body. Running into people, people hitting you, um, getting hit in the arm, chest, head. Walk me through what it feels like the night after a game. Walk me through what it feels like waking up. And walk me through what some of your healing practices are to invest back into your body. Um, the night after the game really usually isn't that bad. Like if there's something that's really kind of biting you, uh, you'll you'll feel it. But the soreness for me doesn't really set in 
for real until two days after. So the game's on Sunday, it's Tuesday where, you know, I kind of feel the real brunt of it. But the night of, it's like, okay, like I'm a little sore. I know I played football today, but I'm not like that. But that Monday morning I wake up, I'm like, whoa, like it takes a little bit extra uh, to get out of the bed. Uh, and Tuesday is the same. But once I get into the flow of the season, you know, I healing-wise, I get a, I to get a massage Monday and Tuesday. Um, I have a hyperbaric chamber at my house. I like to lay in for at least an hour a day. We got Normatech boots for my arms, legs, hips, and glutes. So I like to use those. Uh, my trainer back home from Georgia made me get one of those stretch cages. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. Uh, yep, yep. So yep. I, I got that in the garage. So I try to get on that once a day. Um, cold and hot tub contrast with the steam room at the practice facility. Um, and surprisingly, doing a leg lift the day after the game helps me feel better as well. Uh, so combining all those things and making sure I'm staying on top of those helps me feel better. And it, you know, keeps me from going the painkiller route. Cause I can't even really go that route anymore. You know, if I want my right. life to continue to be what it is. So I had to make sure I'm on top of the you know, more natural things. As far as there's, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but I want to stay on the healing modalities as far as sleeping. How do you sleep? You know, and, as part of your schedule, there's travel involved, um, sometimes every other week or every week. So how do you, how would you say is your sleep schedule? How do you stay consistent with it? How do you get enough sleep throughout the day? Do you find yourself taking naps? Um, yeah, sleep for me, uh, I've, n- I've never been somebody that can get the full eight. Like it's really, it's sparingly for me. Um, I can get eight every now and then. And I'm just like, wow, like that was a miracle. But usually I'm in the like, six six and a half range and that usually works for me uh there'll be little pockets of the day where you know i can feel myself getting a little bit tired but because i try to don't drink coffee caffeine at all so there are pockets of the day where you know i can feel myself reeling a little bit but you know uh i like to use uh like essential oils at night uh meditate before i go to sleep uh you know review my day with some journaling so those things kind of bring me down uh there's a lot of times where if I have to study film and I want to be on top of that, it may take an hour f- from my sleep because, you know, I want to be on top of those things. Or if I want to read a book, or if I want to work on some music, it's it's kind of hard to find time in the schedule to do those things. And I need to because they kind of build me up. So I have to sacrifice some time a little bit there if I want to do those things and recharge. So it's a, a constant, you know, balancing act trying to do that. But uh, sleep for me, you know, I try to be in the bed with everything off by nine. Mm, there it is. Everything off. Cell phones off. Okay. So game day. What are you doing before game day? What as soon as you wake up, what what's your routine? What are you doing? Um my routine, I try to keep it the same as it is every day. Uh I start with just, you know, try to journal multiple pages, just writing whatever is on my mind. Uh meditating, praying. That's the that's the jump start. Other than that, I'm I'm really chilling. Uh, it depends on what time the game is. If it's an afternoon game, uh, I got to be at the stadium probably by ten thirty. So I'll just you know, hang out, read a little bit, listen to some music, just you know, be myself. I don't try to get real tense or like you know, just go dark into this crazy mode. You know, I like to be loose on game day. So I might make a beat or something just to get something to give me my natural element. Uh, and then I just go to the stadium. I like to 
get in the hot tub, uh, meditate when I get to the stadium just to keep me in my right mind because it's easy to want to do something to please the crowd and you feel like the performance thing is really kicking in now in your mind. So I like to be at ease before I step out there and do that. And then I just get my body going. You get nervous? Yeah. Or get, before uh, game, during a game, you get nervous? Yeah, I get some I get some nerves. Um it's not as crippling as it used to be, but I feel like it's natural, you know, I'm a human being. I'm about to go collide with people at full speed, you know. It's just in the nerves, I feel like they kinda help me, they kinda propel me and heighten my senses and uh my awareness and even some of my physical skills. Like I just feel like sometimes even at practice, like I'll be I feel like I'm moving, but on game day it's just a different kind of a gear to it. I don't know, I can't really explain it, but uh yeah, there are some there are some nerves out there for me, and I feel like anybody would tell you that. I played football. Uh, people of the podcast know I played football. And um, I remember I used to try to explain this to people who never played the sport, and it was so hard to explain, even being the writer and the artist that I am. I would explain to people, you know, they'd be like, well, was it loud? And I'd be like, well, I mean, yeah, it was loud, but it's like actually so loud that it's kind of quiet. It's kind of like... right. You're kind of just in your. Can, can you can you explain that? Can you explain yeah. that feeling? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a hectic atmosphere, like especially like last night, the first game in the stadium at Vegas. I mean, it was I've never been a part of anything like it. But when you're in it, it's like it's constantly so loud, and it's like it's there, but it's it's not. Yeah, it's like you said, it's hard to explain. But when you're out there, it's like people are like, man, that game was loud. And I was like. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of people there, but it's just like, I don't know, maybe we're just that dialed in on what we have to do that if we get caught up in the noise, like that will distract us from what we have to do, what we're there to accomplish. So it is, it's loud. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you got to pay attention to the snap count and things like that and nonverbal communication with the quarterback. But, you know, you get that communication down, that's just as effective as talking. So it's like, you know, we don't even really need to talk out there when we know what each other's doing. So, like you said, it's, it is hard to explain. I was thinking about it. It's so it's so hard to explain. Like, even to this day, like, I, I can't really explain it. You've been on, you know, the biggest stage, just played in the Las Vegas Stadium, and it's like you're out there silent almost in a way. Just, right. you know, it's the game. See, the game is so it's so poetic, man. It's just such a poetic game. People, I wish everyone could play football. Like just so just for a day, just so you can see, you know, people think it's just a bunch of dudes tackling each other, jumping on each other, but it's not. It's angles, you know, it's right. leverage. It's am I going to get this shoulder or that shoulder? It's what's what's, you know, where am I putting my foot in the ground? So talk talk to me a little bit about some of some of the skills uh, that make you you. Some of the things that separate you from your peers. What are some of the things that you do well? And that you that you've earned that you've practiced um well some of those things i feel like are god-given ability um there's not a lot of people with uh my height and weight with the speed that i'm able to run with and the routes that i'm have the ability to run so i feel like that's just god-given ability but you know i feel like what separates people is really like the consistency with fundamentals and then uh just a mindset of how they play the game you know you see the difference from a a 50-yard run and a six-yard run could be an offensive lineman's first or second step if it was like a foot or an inch off of where it needed to be. 
that could give the defender enough of an angle to make that play or as opposed to getting cut off. And it's a lot, a lot of that in all the matchups in football. And it's like if your fundamentals are on, they're on consistently, you're more than likely going to win because a, guy, a lot of guys can do it for a little bit of time and they have the, everybody in the league is talented. They can do it for a short period of time or in, in spurts. But the guys that can do it over and over and over again are the ones that separate themselves. And it's just a mental thing. There are a lot of guys out there that would be like, I need to do this so that I don't fail or I need to do this so they don't talk about me in a certain way instead of doing it from a, a place of freedom and a place of joy. It's like, I enjoy being out here and this is how I express my joy. Like if those two are such polar opposites and guys can get beat off of that alone. And I mean, it's even guys like star players, you see star players can wreck a game, but I feel like at least over half of that is the guy who's getting beat has already told himself he's beat in his mind before he even goes up against that star player. You know what I'm saying? So when you line up, I want to I want to piggyback off of what you just said. Do you think about your opponent? Are you thinking to yourself, oh, okay, this person is good at this or this person is good at that? Obviously, you kind of have to do that because you have to be aware of the scheme and you know you have to kind of have a little bit of awareness of everybody. But do you ever get those thoughts like, man, this person, I can't get open on this guy or this guy is just so good. Do you ever have any of that doubt creep in or are your thoughts more like nobody can touch me? Like where, where are your thoughts on that, on that scale? Yeah. My thoughts are more on the side of, I don't feel like anybody can guard me. It's really, I'm more, I'm aware of now. It's like, I'm the, I'm my biggest enemy. You know, I like, if I say I drop a pass, like I dropped one last night and it's like for a few seconds, I may, my mind may start revving and being like, Oh man, like, you know, that next one, like you got to get that next one. But then it's like, I can settle myself down and realize that, you know, me hanging on to that is not serving me for this next play. And, but it's, it's never about, it's never about the opponent for me. Uh, I feel like I give myself a chance if I do my fundamentals and have that right mindset that I can win any rep, whether it's blocking or receiving. Um, I just trust my ability and my preparation, uh, to get it done. So it's never really necessarily about the guy across from me. It's really just me in my mind. And I hope people listening to this podcast can take that for their own journey because we do so much storytelling in our head about what everybody else is doing, what everyone else is doing to us, what they're stopping us from doing, what they're preventing us from. And I just want to challenge people to think like, is that narrative truth? Is this person actually stopping you from getting getting a promotion? Is this person actually stopping you from creating your own business? Is someone actually stopping you from making an album, from going to the ballet, from traveling? Like, is anyone actually stopping you? You know, I'm not saying that is happening. I'm just saying, just question it when that comes up. Like, is this person actually preventing me from, in your situation, you know, helping my team win a game? They're probably not. Like... They're probably not. They're going to try, but they're probably not. Okay. Let's get off of football for a second. I love football. I could talk football all day. Um, you do music. Yeah. I'm on your Instagram the other day, and you literally posted a song, and you're like, yeah, I got this new song coming out, you know, just doing my thing. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. You do music? <laughs> Which... I don't know why I got so excited about that because I'm just like, I think, I think my stigma, the, the stigma that I recognize is that people only see athletes as athletes because I was an athlete. So I've lived, I've lived it. 
And I remember knowing that I was going to be an author. I remember knowing that I love doing music. I remember knowing that I like theater and I like plays and like football was just a small piece of me, you know, and I wanted to share all these other things I was into. And I remember, I remember I had this conversation and my friends were like, you don't, you're not going to be an author. You're going to play in the NFL. And I was like, no, I'm not going to play in the NFL. I'm going to be an author. This was in high school. I'm just, I remember telling them, Hey, I just play football because I want to get out of where I'm at in high school. I want to get to college. Like that was literally my angle. I'm sure you deal with this. So tell me about the music, man. When did this start for you? What, what do you do? Obviously I heard you rapping, but tell me all about it. You know, are you making beats? Do you write songs? Tell me all about the music. Yeah, so I definitely got to give some context off of what you just said. Um, I remember the day where, you know, I realized that being in the band in middle school wasn't cool and I had to do everything with football. You know, I felt like, you know, I kind of already felt like I was kind of lame at that at that point in time in other people's eyes. So I was like, I felt like band was hurting my rep even more. So I felt like I had to pour everything into football when Music was in me from the start. My parents had my sister and I playing piano when we were three or four years old. And, you know, my great-grandfather was a legendary jazz musician, so these musical gifts are in me. And I, I know it, and it, it brought me joy at the time, but I had to stuff that all away to fit the football image. And so all the way until probably, you know, toward the end of my college career, we, we used to, like, have parties and, like, freestyle and uh, I couldn't really freestyle. I could give you two thought out lines, but my mind was so anxious. I would just rev in my head and couldn't spit anything out. So I was like, you know, if I were to write something down, you know, I felt like I could pretty good, be pretty good. I felt like I could make something happen. And, you know, I was in Baltimore. I got drafted my rookie year 2015. And I was so isolated up there that I was like, man, I'm about to start writing. I'm about to start making music. And I started out rapping into the, microphone on the iphone earbuds into garage band <laughs> yep. on my with, with the string did yep. you have the string <laughs> yep I was yeah okay like, okay yeah and went from there and was making songs and then i bought some cheap equipment and was rapping in my closet once i got an apartment and it took me two years probably before i went to like a real studio back home where uh one of my high school football teammates was a he made music on a legit level and so i went and recorded at his spot and was real nervous but then i went there and did it. i was just like man i felt it felt natural i felt like this is what i'm supposed to be doing and ever since then you know i've been creating and making a lot of tracks where it's just like me speaking pain out but also at the same mm-hmm. time i could speak positive things into his ex- existence you know i had an album i put out in 2017 where my life was not great you know i just got banned from the league for a year and was you know about to go to rehab but i was on there speaking positive things into existence even though they weren't in my life and i look back on that and it was like music was where it started for me and you know it can i continue to do that today and just put my life and what i'm really going through in these records you know i can make some records too where i'm you know i want to showcase that i can rap or whatever but those don't really move me like the ones where i'm really putting what I really went through into the record. So it's really been a, a tool of, of healing for me, the best one probably. Mm, that's so powerful, man, to write and then to say the, like you, your rhymes are affirmations. 
you're making affirmations. Like you said, you're speaking things into existence. That's such, such a powerful healing, cleansing tool. Um, and so you said you put the album out. What, what was the album called? So uh, the, in 2017, it was called Better Call Wall. And then in 2019, I had one called Wall Street. And then actually my next project will be coming out this week. Like I was going to put it out. I uploaded it uh, Sunday night when I was in the hotel before uh, the game yesterday. And it should either be up on streaming platforms today or tomorrow. Oh, okay. So I got you at the perfect time. This is a big yeah. week, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So the one that's coming out this week, what is what is it called again? The one that's coming out this week, I call it Delusions of Clarity. Mm, okay. Delusions of Clarity. That's a paradox. I like that. Delusions of Clarity. Okay. How many tracks are on there? 14 tracks. 14. And so, I mean, you see guys like, uh, you know, there's an NBA guy who's an all, all pro, all star, you know, he's top level, um, Damien, you know, Lillard. And then he's also doing music, like very seriously, pursuing it very seriously. Do you, you know, not that we need to compare you to him, but is it a similar story where you're obviously taking football very seriously? Are you taking the music serious where you also want people to know you as an artist or is it more of a, a release for you that feels good? Like where are you at with the music part of you? Yeah. Uh, the music for me is just like, I would do it in, there were times where I didn't even think of putting it out. I was like, I ain't even gonna put this out. So, but I feel like music gets to be shared. So I'm cool with whoever listens to my music. I don't need to be like the artist that's being pushed on a major level uh and you see me on billboards or nothing like that like i don't i don't need that i just put it out because it's something that brings me joy and i feel like i'm good at it like i don't care if the world thinks i'm good at it but i enjoy it and i feel like others would be able to enjoy it and connect with it so that's why i continue to do it man i dig it i dig it okay do you have any uh gym songs on there like lifting while you're lifting any like like those or is it driving is it, you know, sitting back introspecting? What's the vibe of it? Bro, I really have everything on this on this project coming up, you know. Uh, some for the gym, some for you to be in your mind. Like, the, in, the intro on the album is called Introduction to My Thoughts. So it's just like, you know, it's kind of letting you into my head a little bit. I got, you know, songs for if you're feeling lost. I got songs for if you, you know pushed your girl away, but you want her to, to come back and you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I got yeah, a little, yeah, I have yeah, a little yeah, bit of yeah. everything on there. Cause I go through a lot, you know? Right. Man, we all do, man. We all do. I appreciate the, you just coming in this space and just being open and honest, man. That's why I wanted you on here, you know, because if you guys didn't know, I was so fortunate to go on your podcast, the comeback stories. Yeah. And it's a beautiful platform that you and Donnie have created because you know, you get people like me, people like yourself, people like Donnie. And I just feel like the world we live in, what happens with icons or, and if you guys can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, you know, icons or celebrities or stars or authors, you know, gurus, whatever the title is, what happens is people get put on this pedestal. You know, in this pedestal, there's a lot of like perfection. Like, oh, you have money. Everything's great in your life. You're on TV. Every, your life is perfect. And it's like, that's not reality at all. 
you know? And so that's why I love Comeback Stories, the podcast that you guys created, because like you guys did the Michael Phelps today. You brought on Carson Daly. You know, you had me on there. You're bringing on people and you're digging into the real. Like, what are you, what, what's really going on? I love that, man. Tell me about how you guys started the podcast, how you came up with that theme to like really dive deep. No, there's no fluff. This isn't Hollywood. Like you guys are diving deep. How did you come about it? You know, tell me everything about Comeback Stories. Yeah, uh, I give Donnie the credit for wanting to start a podcast. Like he asked me and I was like, man, I have no idea how to do a podcast whatsoever. But I was like, let's roll with it. Because it came from, you know, Donnie was, you know, coaching me. We connected on that level. and we were having these conversations where it's like, you know, last year I'm going out there and I'm setting Raider records with my stats and my performance, but, you know, I'm still throughout the season feeling like it's not good enough or I could have done more or am I going to be able to consistently do this, uh, doubting myself. And it's like in the midst of that success, like I'm still a human being and I'm going through these adversities and I'm fighting these things. And it's like, wow, like people need to hear these conversations. Like I've shared my story and everything and people are inspired by that. But these are conversations that I'm having on an everyday basis. Uh, and we know that there are people that common people would hold in high regard that are having these conversations too. And these need to be shared with the world because like you said, when you're talking to Michael Phelps today, we got like 23 gold medals and was talking about how he was depressed after the Olympics multiple times. And it's like your accomplishments can't save you and your success can't save you. So we want to have people that, yeah, it's okay. And it's great to be successful. But at the end of the day, it's like, that's not going to save you from yourself. But that's why we got that. Right. Right. It's so much more to life than success. Like you need coping skills. You need friends. (laughs) You need people to talk to. You need someone to hug you. Like the so like, that's why I do the work that I do, bro, because Everyone in my mind, when you talk to people and you listen to people talk about their goals or things they want, I mean, look, I'm not not here to stop anybody from anything, but people think, oh, if I get a million dollars, that's it. I made it. It's like, okay, have you really made it? What are you going to do with the money? Who are you going to become when you get the money? How are you going to behave? What what is your emotional wellness when you get that money? You know, Mm -hmm. let's transition to money for a second. Um, What was it like in your household growing up um, financially? Um, what was it like for you when you actually received a check that was probably more than you imagined as a kid? Um, yeah, growing up, it was a uh, middle class for me. It was a nice neighborhood, uh, suburban Atlanta, Georgia, not good schools, like no, nothing rough in my environment whatsoever. Uh, both parents in the house and I mean, I think they probably brought in like almost like $200,000 in income a year. So it's like, nobody was really hurting. Like if we ever asked for things, we knew not to just be like, I want this, I want this, I want this. But at the same time, it was like, we knew that we could ask for things like, you know, in moderation and that they would give give them to us because we, they were honest about doing good in school. So we knew what it was like to, I guess, earn things. But, um, but yeah, the first time that I, got a check was, I mean, I didn't even work a job until the NFL, like the NFL was my job. I never had a job before that. And the you know, signing bonus check, like it was, my signing bonus was $111,000. And after taxes, it was like 64,000. I was like, 
$64,000. Like, I mean, this is nuts. <laughs> right. Like I've never had more than like a few hundred dollars from like a bowl game or like a bowl gift card. And I'll just use that on like tattoos or something. And so getting that was just like, wow. And I was just like, really the first thing that came to my mind was like, this is money to fuel me buying pills and liquor whenever I wanted to. And I could buy other people rounds or buy other, other people things. And it was, that was the first thing that went to my mind. It wasn't anything else because that was the center of my addiction at that time. That's where you were at. So how, how old were you at that time? I was 22. 22, man. 22 year old got a hundred thousand dollar check. And that 22 year old was struggling with addiction. Take us, take us back to those days. What was uh, going on? You know? Yeah. What was going on? Talk to us. I mean, uh, my drug of choice was like opiates, like, uh, oxycodones, Percocets. Um, I drank a whole lot, smoked weed, uh, did Xanax, cocaine, like, I mean, you name it, just if anything gave me that feeling that was, uh, I would do anything. So I was in that mode where I first got to the team and I was like, I could feel that I had no purpose. I could feel that I was kind of floating mm-hmm. through life and that, you know, the only thing holding me up, which I, what I thought were the drugs and the alcohol. So at that time I was very uninspired, very isolated. Uh, I had no goals with football. I was just kind of there, just kind of with the mask on. Uh, trying to get by, trying to get through. And yeah, just very dark times, very times that I don't want to go back to. <laughs> was there anybody in your life at that time that 100% knew everything you were going through? 100%? Absolutely not. Not even close. How did you get help? I kind of ran into a brick wall at full speed and just crashed and was survived and was like, okay, like I'm, I'm not in control anymore. Cause up until that time, you know, I was very manipulative, very, I was a thief. I was a liar. I was a cheater. And I was, you know, throughout my whole college career, I was finessing drug tests, lying to the administration, getting over on things, finessing cops. Like, and so at that time it was like, and even in the NFL, I was getting two, three drug tests a week, and I was in there trying to beat them, trying to come up with these elaborate ideas of how I was going to beat drug tests and, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes. And, you know, when I, I overdosed in 2017, and it was just kind of like, you know, I was right around the corner from the practice facility, the Ravens practice facility. Um, and like you said, nobody knew where I was at. Nobody knew what I was going through. And, you know, my whole life, I wanted people's approval. I wanted people to love me and and feel for me and but at that time I was alone after all that striving after all that straining I was by myself and coming back from that I was like that was the first time I was like man I'm not in control because before I was always like I got this like ain't nobody finna do nothing to me I'm I'm too smart like I'm, I I got this but at that point in time I was like this is getting my will is getting me nowhere <laughs> so that was when I went, got help and the league sent me to rehab and things changed from there so when you when you overdose, can you describe that scene? What what was going on? Were you conscious? Did somebody find you? Like what what was happening? So that day, I was gonna be moving out of my apartment to move back home with my parents because I just got suspended maybe like a couple months before that, and I 
I was there. I was like, shit, I'm, I'm going to get high while I'm here and picked up some pills and was going to the giant. I popped the pills while I was driving. I had like a 30 minute drive to get back to where I was and went to the giant grocery store. I was going to get some beer or something and was going to go get out the car. But I knew that if I got out the car, I was going to like pass out or throw up or something crazy would happen. And people would look at me like crazy. I was like, nah, I'm just sitting in the car. And like the car was off, I guess. And I was just in there chilling. And then all of a sudden it was like somebody pulled the TV out from behind the game. Like when you was kid, you was kids and you was playing the game when you shouldn't be. Your mom came in and pulled the yep. plug out. It was like, it was just like, and then like I woke up instantly and it was, but it was nighttime. Cause I went in the afternoon and it was mm-hmm. nighttime. I was kind of like in the back of the parking lot and I was just there and woke up like covered in like, cold sweat and just like feeling like I lost a whole bunch of weight and was just feeling crazy. It was just scared to death. I was like, cause I knew I didn't just voluntarily take a nap there. Cause my apartment was two lights down the street. And I was like, damn, I couldn't even make it back to my apartment. That's when I was like, man, this is out of control. And I didn't want to even share that experience for a while until I did and put two and two together. And so it was just like, that just shook my world. But for the, actually for the better. Mm. And then now um, a component of your journey is that you're sober from everything. So what did it take from you to go from that day where you're two lights from your apartment, suspended from your job, moving back in with your parents as a, what were you, 20, 23 at the time? Nah, yeah, I was, uh, I was 24. Okay, moving back in with your parents at 24. So I'm just thinking about your emotional state at that time. Shame, guilt, anger, fear, resentment, pissed, worthless. All that, right? Every single one. So how do you get from how do you get from moving back in with your parents? You were the the young man in the car to completely sober like what transpired in that time frame that got you sober um that experience of not being in control was enough for me to not want to use uh pills ever again um because i enjoyed being in control of when i could get high and how i felt whenever i wanted to but now like i'm a slave to that substance it can take me on whatever ride it wants to take me on. So that shook me to my core enough for me to want to stop. I still had desires to drink uh, after that, but never did. Um, I was battling in the initial part of rehab of wondering, I was like, well, I could probably still drink. You know, I can, there's been plenty of times where I've had a couple of drinks and just been able to stop. But eventually it leads, leads to me going on a wild bender. So it's like, what I got to evaluate what's really serving me. And, you know, so going through that rehab process and really getting in touch with myself and realizing that I really used like to fit in and to be a part of that crowd. Like when I was a kid, like I told you, I was like, I felt like I was lame and people let me know that. Like I wasn't black enough. I wasn't this, I wasn't that. And when I started using, that was when, you know, I started getting in within crowds and I started playing like varsity sports. So it was just like when I started using my life got better and I was around all these people and this connection. Mm. And then it got to this point where looking at my family history, like is alcoholics up and down. So it was like, I could drink people under the table and I could pop more pills or like smoke more weed than people. And so that became like my identity. And 
So realizing that, and it was just like, wow, my identity was in the competition aspect of it and what people thought of me in the using. It was like, wow, like I can't be caught up in that anymore. Like I realized like I'm doing this all to a waste where I have no control of the outcome if I put it in somebody else's hands. But if I can really connect with things that are of myself and are the truth to me, using wasn't a part of that equation anymore. And, you know, I didn't want to be in that place where I wasn't aware of what was going on inside of me and, you know, attentive to that and mindful. Like going back to that seemed scary because I was unaware and I was in that unawareness for so long. And it was like, how could I have lived like that for so long? And it's like, I can't, I can't go back to that. Bro, I'm so, I'm so proud of you, man. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. Seriously. Appreciate it. So how, 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 um, let me just clarify. Um, so do you smoke weed now? Do you have any drinks now? Do you do any type of substances, even like, uh, uh, rooms, you know, anything like that, any psychedelics, anything at all? No, I enjoy a cigar, uh, after every game on a Sunday night, when I get back to my house, I like to smoke a cigar, but that's, that's all you get for me. And that's it. That's it yep. for you. Yep. Okay. What would you say to the person listening to this that is considering maybe I should stop smoking. Maybe I should stop drinking. Maybe I should stop whatever, whatever the thing is, you name the thing. What would your invitation to them be? Uh, I would just say a simple question of why do you do it? Like, why, why do I do this? And I feel like a lot of people may come to the answer of everybody else is doing it or, uh, it's legal. Like I know a lot of people that smoke weed and it does not serve them in their life in any way. It's actually kind of, you know, keeping them from being the person that they can be or keeping them from commitments and, but they can lean on the fact that it's legal and that everybody else is doing it, but you know, you got to ask it, why do you do it? Is it serving you? Is it adding value to to your life or is it taking from your life? For me, it was taken from my life, but you know, for that temporary moment, I needed to have it to feel good. And, and then you go to, it's like, okay, like I need that to feel good. Like, why do I need that to feel good? Why can't I feel good on my own? What's keeping me from feeling good? Just me at my core, just me who I am. And, I thought like that's just a question people need to ask is really sit with that question of why do I do this instead of just going with the flow. And that's most people's definition of fun. So I don't want to be seen as a way or far from most people. So I'm going to go do what most people are doing. You got to be willing to create that space. Man. That, that, oh my God. That is just, it's just so beautiful to, it's so beautiful to listen to you embody all of the emotions of that entire experience and to completely own it and to be at a point where you feel comfortable sharing because there's there's so much power in healing and sharing that journey and your podcast is called comeback stories you know it's it's just it's the greatest comeback story that i'm probably ever going to hear you know it's like man this dude came back from that so how do you feel now about yourself just as a human being not as an athlete just about yourself as a human how do you feel uh i I respect who i am today Um, sometimes i can be you know my biggest critic uh, but i feel like i'm i give life an honest try i give i try to be myself as 
honestly and authentically as I can uh, without going into the world thinking like every step, what is, what is this person going to think? What is, what is this going to entail? And then just being in that moment. So I respect myself for going that route of, of mindfulness and, and just being present and just being where I'm at. But, you know, I still struggle today with acknowledging myself for the good that I do because a lot of my life, like these overdose situations and my life leading up to for the first 25 years, it was a lot of failure for me, a lot of uh, public humiliation, um, a lot of things that I'm not proud of and situations that I was in where I didn't feel like it was authentically me. I was kind of forcing myself to be to fit an image and it was just wearing on me. So the the norm for me, what became comfortable was being in situations that uh, were at the expense of me, that drained me. And if anything was positive or adding to my life in a, in a great manner, I just couldn't really relate to. I didn't know what it was like to have good things happen. So today I'm still trying to lose that mindset because it's like football success is happening and I could be so quick to be like, ah, oh, no, like, you know, I'm still, they still haven't done anything yet. I still have to do it longer or it could, I can't accept a compliment very easily. Uh, and I never really thought about it. So you can't. Oh, we, we talked about that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just kind of getting to that mode where it's like, somebody says a compliment. I'm like, uh, but I'm like, <clears throat> you be quiet and look them in the eyes and say, thank you. So it's just like things like that is I'm trying to figure out how to handle the positive things in life, the good things in life, because I've been, I trained myself so long to put myself in situations that drained me that I don't know how to handle situations that fill me up fully, but I'm getting there. Yeah, mm. mm. I know my listeners are going to be like, wait, who's this guy? They're going to be looking you up because they're going to want to support you, man. Just you got a you got a powerful journey. Do you have kids? No, nah, I don't have kids. Okay. I, I don't want to put the I have a kid. I have a son. I definitely don't want to put that pressure on you. Is that something that you aspire to do at some point? Uh, yes. And I just really came to that in the last few years. That I wanted to because for a while I was like, there's no way I'm having a kid from one standpoint of me seeing what I put my parents through. You know, I've been arrested three times. Um, you know, and then just as far as my name being in the public for so many negative things and, you know, just my behavior growing up, it put a lot of stress on my parents. And I don't know if I could deal with another, of another version of me, you know, from that standpoint of what I did to my parents, I could, <laughs> if I had to be on the other end and receive that karma, it'd be, it'd be rough. So, but I've moved past that and realized that, you know, my journey, what I've been through, if I'm open and honest with my kid one day about it, that can help him navigate some things and approach his journey in a way that, you know, he can funnel things out that aren't authentically for him or on the path that he wants to go on. He doesn't need to try everyone else's path. He can be open minded and want to experience things, but not there at the expense of him and who he is. So that's where my perspective on that has kind of changed. Also, too, we have to recognize that our bodies change, our DNA changes. Like literally, we we produce new cells. You're not in that trauma body anymore. You're not in that uh, addicted body anymore. You're in a place where you're practicing self compassion. You're practicing self love. You're you're trying to find different healing modalities to to heal you and to cure you. So you creating a seed in this version of you versus you know you seven eight nine years ago. 
two completely different outcomes. The version of you now, this version of you creating a seed, or not even necessarily just a child, but this version of you creating friendships, this version of you taking a job, this version of you being in a relationship will be totally different than seven, eight years ago. You know, and I, I say the same thing about myself because I, I feel like when I was 13 through 24, I was in my trauma body. I was full of shit. I didn't like myself. I didn't like other people. You know, I was all those things that we talked about that you mentioned. I felt like I was the same thing. And it was, it was, that's why for me, I'm, I'm so passionate about telling stories that help people heal, that help people realize, you know what? I'm not alone. I heard that story from Sylvester. And so I'm not alone. I can get through this. I can get over this. I can metabolize this. So you're, I think you'll be a great dad, especially with the stories you have, you have to tell, man. I know you got some <laughs> stories. Um, I know there's some Raider fan who will be pissed at me if I don't ask you this. So I do, I do have to ask you this. You know, uh, are you guys winning the Super Bowl this year? Um, questions like that, man. I don't even, I don't even go that route, man. It's a, it's a journey of an accumulation of days. Uh, I feel like you become mm-hmm. a champion long before they hand you a silver trophy. You know, I feel like it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a mindset. Um, that trophy is. You know, I feel like if I host that trophy in the air, honestly, as soon as I hand it back or whatever, like I'm gonna have the same problems that I had that day. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. the field, I'm gonna have the same yeah. insecurities or whatever I'm yeah. going through is still gonna be there. But I can continue to approach my life on a day to day basis as a champion. So the results mm-hmm. of things may go our way, they may not. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's really how a champion is defined. But so, yeah, I don't have an answer for that question. <laughs> well, I, I'll answer it for you. You're, you're already a champion, man. The sport. What matters, bro, in my opinion, is the work that you've done as a human. And I, I was talking to Daisy about legacy. She was asking me about my legacy. She's like, you know, what do you think your legacy is? And I said, you know, I don't care about that because... A legacy is what each person's opinion of you is and how you impact it, each people on each person on an individual level. And at the end of the day, people are not going to talk about my books or me being a football player or they're just going to be like, Sylvester made me feel this way. Same thing with you, Darren. It's not about yak, broken tackles, catches, all pro, pro bowl. It's like, again, like we talked about the human and the performance from the performance side of you. Hell yeah, we can talk about that stuff all day. But as a human, your legacy is that you have such a beautiful story and you've inspired so many of us to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Why am I doing this alcohol? Why am I doing this marijuana? Why am I doing this opioid? Why am I in this relationship? When we come away from this podcast, that's what we're going to reflect on, that question you asked us. Why? Because today we're talking to a true champion. And so I'm so, so grateful for your time today. And I'm going to leave you with this one final question. When you hear the word, the phrase, free your energy, what does that mean to you? It means to strip aside, to uh, let things go that uh, aren't serving me anymore, to let things go that may serve other people, not necessarily my journey. 
and to allow myself to step forward a lighter version, you know, of, you know, uh, just an authentic version, a joyful version uh, of myself that puts the light in the world for somebody else to look at and, and, and learn something from to take to their own journey and to continue to pass on for the rest of their life. Cause I feel like freeing your energy means putting exactly who I am out there in the world so that somebody else can see me because, you know, somebody may need my energy at some point. Somebody may need what I stand for or, how I walk on a day-to-day basis. I don't know when exactly that will be uh, or what moment in time it'll be. So I need to continue to work on myself so that my light can be of service to others. So I feel like that's what free my energy, free your energy means.